And in the teaching verses, uh, Paul would say, you know, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. They tell us what's happening. Uh, They inform us, let's put it that way. A lot of verses, however, are what we're going to call prescriptive. There are things that you should be doing, like when the doctor gives you a prescription, you should take this, it's supposed to make you better. Now, with that in mind, believe it or not, we're in a new, we're beginning a new season of life. You look around, lots of things are changing. For many, school has started, new classes, new teachers, uh, maybe new majors, <laughs> financing experimentation, who knows what's going on. Some of you may have new jobs. Believe it or not, we're about to start a new season. It doesn't feel that way out there, but it's, you realize it's the 21st of August. You realize that? It's almost September. It doesn't feel like it, but that's where we are. Uh, the Olympics close out tonight. We've had two weeks of that, and it's finally over tonight. And finally, that blessed time of year, is about to come on us. It's about football season. Can I get a roll tide? Amen. As a church family, uh, seasons change for us too. Things change in life. Things go back and forth. And as things change, it's always a good time to look back and say, okay, what have we done? What lies ahead? And how should we accomplish what the Lord wants us to accomplish? Uh, As a family, you do that. You've planned things out. You've got your vacations planned and you know how things are supposed to work. As a church family... We need to be planning how we're going to serve the Lord, Uh, not just the stuff that we do, but how we're going to do it, because the Bible does instruct us about that. Uh, A couple of descriptive verses about the church are Romans 12.5 and uh, Ephesians 4.25. The key phrase there is members one of another. So when we talk about the church, the church is a group of people who are together. So now look back down at 1 Corinthians 12, if you've already made made your way there. Look at verse 12. Paul says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We're all made to drink of that one Spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. Then he goes on to give an illustration and say, the body's not just one big foot. Always all it would do is stomp around. He wouldn't see anything. It's not just an eye. It's not just an ear. It's not just a hand. The body has lots of parts, lots of moving parts, but they all form one thing that's supposed to function one way. But with the one way, there are many ways to do the one thing. So what I want to do this morning is... And this is a stretch for me. I don't normally preach a topical message because it's a whole lot easier to get into one paragraph or two paragraphs. I know Rick knows what I'm talking about. And you just go through. And it's nice and easy. But we need to look at a big picture of what God expects from us as a church family. Because the church is what we're all a part of. And God does have a way he wants us doing things. And it's important as we move ahead that we line ourselves up with what the Bible teaches. That's where success is going to be. That's where we're really going to see uh, how things work. Uh, Bob Hansen, many of you may know Bob. He's a member of our church. He's shut in. Uh, Bob and I talk about things. We meet at least once a week and we talk. And Bob and I were talking about the message. And he used this illustration, which I thought was great. Church is like one of those baby mobiles. Guys, you may not know what a mobile is. It's that thing you hook to the crib and it dangles over the baby. And it's got all these little things hanging down and it spins and plays music and does all that kind of stuff. The church is very similar to that. It's lots of different things, but it all hooks to one place. And I thought that was good because it's all together. It may all look funny, but it's still together spinning around doing something. And as a church, we have 
obligations. We have things God wants us to be doing. And this isn't a big drop heavy on you, but I want us to be aware of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the verses in the New Testament that talk about what we're supposed to do to one another, literally with that phrase, one another. That was the only way to kind of condense this down. So we're going to look at it really in four categories. But what I want you to see in all these categories is this. Your uniqueness is part of our diversity. Your uniqueness what God's gifted you to do, who you are, is part of our big diversity of gifts functioning together. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at four areas. Uh, unity, I, I've already read that verse, so you don't need to worry about that. Unity, love, encouragement, and respect. And I struggled with the tags, and I just finally said I'm going to use them and see what happens. But you'll see where we're going as we get through this. So the first thing we need to look at is unity. We're told that we need to be unified as a church family. Uh, there are a number of verses that we can quote here. But what I want you to see is the first thing he tells us is that as a church family, we need to be unified. We need to have the same mind. We need to be moving together toward the same directions. Romans 12:16. Paul says, be of the same mind one to another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Uh, Later on in chapter 15, he says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ. So he wants us to be thinking the same way. We're working together moving forward, having the same mind. Not always thinking the same things by any stretch. But he does want us to have the same goals, the same ideas, the same way of doing things as far as why we do them. Does anybody know why we do what we do here? Can anybody think of a neat, catchy phrase that would describe what we do? I need a deacon to help. I need somebody to help me. This is the wake up 2 o'clock in the morning thing. James. Okay, that's it. But what's our tagline? What do we say? We're going to... Read, there we go, read souls, build lives in love. That's our goal, that's the idea. That's what drives what we do. Do we need to say that together once to help us all out? Everybody with me here? Is, is it too early, is that what it is? It's, all, it's past 11 o'clock, come on. All right, we need to have the same mind. 1 Thessalonians 5 is a great reminder of this. Paul tells us that we should esteem everyone, we, that we esteem them, others, very highly in love because of their work. And he says, live in peace with one another. Work together. Keep the same mind. Don't be everybody got to have his own way, do his own thing where we can't get along. So in unity, we have the same mind. Okay, and I have the same slide about to pop up because I doubled it. So there we go. We're going to have the same care one for another. We have the same mind. And then Paul tells us on, he says, we have the same care one for another. Romans fifteen seven. He says, accept one another just as Christ accepted us to the glory of the Father. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty five. So that there may be no division in the body, so that the members may have the same care one of another. Now, let me just park here. Everybody agrees with that. Yes, we should care for each other. Let's remember, this doesn't extend just to the people you like or just your friends not just to the cool people or the in crowd or the easy to be around people. Uh, you're already in 1 Corinthians. Flip back to chapter 6 for me, would you? Chapter 6. The start of this chapter, Paul's talking about the fact that 
in this church, they were actually taking each other to court over minor issues. Not big things where there are hundreds of thousands of dollars, comparatively speaking, but minor issues. Everybody had to have his own way. He had to do his own thing. And then he gets down here to verse 9, and he says this. After he's, after he, you know, he has basically scolded them about the lawsuits. Uh, instead, he says, be willing to be wronged. Then in verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And we look at that list and go, man, that's bad. And you're right. But everybody look right now at verse 11. Look at the first five words. And then look right up here. Everybody. And such were some of you. Before you get to big head about things, remember these verses, verses 9 and 10, describe us in our sin before we came to Christ. That removes all of this, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll I, I like the neat people, or, or, you know, there are some people I will be kind to, but not others. We're to extend the same care one to another, because it's the right thing to do, it's what Christ did for all of us. That's where we need to be thinking like he did. So we're to be working together, same mind, unified, going the same way, extending the same care to everybody so that any part of the body that needs help gets that care, gets that encouragement. As a church body, that should signal who we are. That should be the flaming lights, the real bright things that say, when I go to that place, those people are kind. I don't go in there and look and see all the strife. They're working together, and when I go in and I need encouragement, somebody's there to pick me up. We have the same care one for another. It doesn't stop at care. It starts to intensify now, and Paul says that a general characteristic, something that our church needs to be known by, is love. It's supposed to be love. Uh, Romans 12, verse 10, really is the overriding principle here. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Uh, be devoted. It, it's a phrase that in, in the original, in the language of the New Testament, means you're prone to do this. This is the natural impulse. Uh, when a mother sees a baby, almost every case, the natural impulse is, ah. Everybody wants to reach out to the baby. As we work together in a church family, the natural impulse is to be brotherly love. We're to walk in, and this is supposed to be a great place to be. I enjoy seeing you. I want to be here with you. It's devoted to, it's the first impulse. By the way, it goes backwards one verse, in verse 9, where Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. It's to be real love that is shown to all. Let be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That means reaching out to people. That means finding people even maybe that you don't know in the church family and finding out who they are. It does mean, as a believer, you should reach out to people that might be coming in to visit that you don't know. I know it's awkward. I understand. It, it's not everybody is like me or like some folks where you just walk up and start talking. But as believers, if we're going to show love within the church family... Um, you don't want to be like the old boy that got married and said, I told her I loved her when we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let her know. And never say, I love you again. We have to express love. Love that is not shown is very difficult to notice. 
And we're to be devoted to it. It needs to be the first impulse. When you see somebody from our church family out in town, you ought to want to speak to them. You may not be able to get to them, but you ought to want to speak to them. When you haven't seen somebody, somebody goes on vacation, you should want to greet them. That's just brotherly love. We're to be devoted to that. We need to develop that. Uh, As a matter of fact, Paul goes on Romans 13. He says, Oh, no man anything except love. Now, he puts that in the context where he says, Render to everyone what's due to them. Taxes, custom, fear, and honor. Do you hear what he's saying? It needs to be a mindset. Just like you look at your civil obligations and say, I have to do that. You may not like it, but you have to do it. We're supposed to develop a mindset that wants to love other people, that wants to show brotherly love in the church. And this is the one place where you ought to be able to do that without fear of recrimination. We can stumble around each other, but we can enjoy each other. Now, I do want to put a caveat in here. Uh, There are people that we sometimes feel like are unlovely or difficult to love. We may call them prickly people. Uh, Ephesians 4, 2 reminds us that we're to love with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, tolerate doesn't mean just endure. It means that you work at enduring. You find a way to love that person. That's hard work, but that's growing in your faith. When you work at loving someone, you may have to meet them three or four times before you're used to using their name, but you need to go out of your way to do that. You may need to reach out to that young mom to help her. And yes, that's stretching a little bit, but you know what? Reach into that life. We work at developing love for each other. This is where the greet the brethren with a holy kiss thing comes in. You know, we're appropriate and all that kind of thing. But we warmly and affectionately get together and encourage each other and show love. Uh, How much love should we show? I've been asked that. How far do we have to go? Well, Paul says that we need to be increasing and abounding in love one for another. Romans 12, 15, 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 all say this. It's interesting because Paul starts off 1 Thessalonians and he says, you are known for, and and I'm grateful for your labor of love, your patience of hope and those things. So right up front, he says, I acknowledge your labor of love. You folks are doing a great job. And then you get to chapter three, chapter 4, and he says, as a matter of fact, you don't need instruction on how to love others because everybody, all the churches in Macedonia know that you're loving. Their deeds of love were noticed. But then he says this, verse 10, I urge you to excel yet more or still more. So he says, boy, you guys are doing a great job. Other people know you're doing a great job. Keep it up and increase. Abound in love even more. We shouldn't be satisfied. We need to be growing in our love all the time. Uh, How do we show this love? Peter says we show it fervently. Fervently. Uh, 1 Peter 1.22, we're supposed to show love uh, since you have been in obedience to the truth. Purify your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently. Love one another from the heart. Now, I could give you a dictionary definition of fervent because we'll all try to figure out what fervent means. Let me give you a biblical illustration. Acts 12, uh, the start of the chapter, Herod has decided that he wants to gain favor with the Jews. So he gets James the apostle, he has him arrested, and he is killed. Says he's killed with the sword, probably beheaded, but he is killed. When he sees that the Jews are responding well to that, he arrests Peter, puts him in jail, and he's planning his execution. 
But because it's on a high feast day, it says, wait a minute, we've got to wait till the Sabbath is over, and then we're going to kill Peter. And then the next thing we see is it says the church was gathered together praying for Peter. Do you remember the phrase that was used? It says, and fervent prayer was made by the church. What did fervent prayer look like? Fervent prayer looked like this. They were praying. The Lord miraculously delivers Peter unknown to them. Peter comes to the door. Little girl comes to the door who opens the door. Doesn't open the door. She you know, opens the thing because they're probably afraid. Peter! Ah! She turns around. Peter's still standing out on the street. She goes and tells the people. She disturbs the prayer meeting. And they're like, excuse us. We're praying. We're praying. We're praying. It's not there. It's a ghost. You're seeing things. Don't worry about it. And between Peter's knocking at the door... And this little girl keeps saying that Peter is there. Somebody finally leaves the prayer meeting and goes and opens the door. And lo and behold, there's Peter. They were so engulfed in their prayer that they didn't quite recognize that God had already done something. That's how fervent it was. They didn't want to leave the prayer meeting. They wanted God to do something. And they were beseeching God to do that. Uh, It must have been urgent because we know Peter was facing imminent death. It was probably very intense prayer because they didn't want to leave their meeting. So fervent prayer. We love one another fervently. That's, that's unusual for us. Uh, when was the last time, don't answer this, when was the last time you heard a man tell another man he loved him? It's kind of an awkward thing. But there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I have several friends, and we do that, and I don't really care if anybody hears or not. It's just the way it works. Uh, I can't tell you what it means to me when somebody says, man, I love you, brother. And there are several of you that do that regularly, and it's a real encouragement. Uh, if we're commanded to love one another, what's wrong with saying something about it? Express that love. It should be fervent. It should mean something. And we express that in a way to make sure that others can see that. Uh, third, we got unity, love two marks of the church. The third one is encouragement. Now, this pulls in a lot of things, and I've wrestled with equipping and edifying, and I thought, well, those don't really say anything. Encouragement kind of hits the target. Um, There are a couple of areas where we can encourage one another that are specified. Uh, Number one, we comfort each other regarding our God, His Word and His works. Uh, Romans 15, 14, Paul says, I know that you folks are headed the right way, that you're full of goodness, and that you're able also to admonish one another, to admonish one another. You can encourage each other. That may mean taking the scripture and encouraging someone who's in trouble. It may also mean that you may need to exhort them about a problem in their lives. And that is still giving comfort to them because God has an answer to their problem. And it's God's answer that really matters. We encourage them by what God's done in our own lives or what we've seen in the lives of other people and remind them that, yes, God is in control. And he can take care of things. Uh, we encourage people about God's power. First Thessalonians 4 is a great passage that talks about how believers face death. How do we handle death? We look ahead to what God is going to do. Remember, he says, brethren, I don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. And he doesn't say, everything's going to be all right. He says, Christ is coming back one day. He's going to receive us and the dead in Christ are going to rise too. And the end of that chapter, he says this, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We look for what God is doing, what God has already done, and we share that with each other, and we comfort one another with those things. Uh, 
Romans 14.9, Paul says that we're to build one another up. And I'm never sure how to explain building someone up. And I checked several different translations thinking maybe there's another way to express it. And they all end up saying build up, mutually build up, support, edify. Uh, literally, the word means build. Okay, um, Let's do it this way. Let's look at the opposite. What is the opposite of building up? Tearing down. So that's what we're not supposed to do if we're supposed to be building one another up. So we build up by giving comfort. Uh, we also encourage each other by our presence. By your presence. Uh, people quote Hebrews 10 and say, you've got to be in church every time the door's open. Now, I'd love to see you every time the door's open. I, these aren't our doors. We, we show up whenever we can get here. But we should be here to encourage each other. That's why we place such a premium on being here for services. What other time are you going to get together with the church family? Really? What, what other time are you going to get together with the church family? Well, I know Christian people. That's fine. But you're not out worshiping with them. You're not out sharing requests as part of being in a group. You're not taking that time to put your gifts together with their gifts and move that up in praise and service to the Lord. That's why we do place a premium on attending church. That's why we encourage you to be here. It's why Sunday night is important. It's why our grace groups are important. Our connections lunches, our fellowship groups. Anytime you have a chance when the body gets together, you encourage each other by your presence. It's a good thing. We learn about each other, especially in the smaller groups where we're free to share a little bit more. Sundays aren't as interactive as the smaller times. But we encourage each other by your presence. You don't know what somebody brought in with them this morning by way of heartache or weight on them or something that's going on in their life that they have no control over. You do have the opportunity to reach out to them as you walk around and greet people. You can see in faces when people are different. Take the opportunity to ask. I don't think anybody's going to be offended if, hey, is there anything I can pray about for you today? I'm just curious. You don't have to say, boy, you look different than normal. What do you need? But you can say that by saying, is there anything I need to pray about for you? And you can, you can develop a relationship with someone starting there. You can be an encourager for what's going on in their life by building up, by being here, being fellowship. You can also do it by using your gifts. Using your gifts. Peter says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Everyone who's a believer has been gifted by the Spirit with some way of helping this body accomplish what we as one need to accomplish. Every one of you. doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where you're going to go in three years, one year, two years, end of this week. You have been uniquely gifted in some way to help this body go from all this diversity, taking your uniqueness and putting it all together to make something that glorifies God. Use that gift. I don't know what my gift is. We can talk. I would encourage you to just go into the Scripture. Use the things God encourages you to do. Some people do not want to be seen doing anything. That's fine. Not everybody likes being up in front of people and stuff like that. There are lots of ways that you can serve the Lord. There are many, many ways you can use a gift to serve the Lord. The key is using it. It's not an option. It's something we're supposed to be doing. Then finally, 
We're told that respect, and now respect is this giant category because it talks about lots of different ways to get along, and I couldn't think of a better word, so bear with me here. But it's, it, it's a variety of things. Thinking of others first. Uh, back up. There we go. Romans 12, verse 10. Be devoted in brotherly love. Then he says this, giving preference to one another in honor. In other words, you're making sure that you're reaching out to other people and valuing them. Because if Christ died for them, folks, they are valuable. And he died for everyone. So we need to be showing that kind of concern by thinking of others first. Ephesians 5.21, we're to be subject one to another in the fear of Christ. In our relationships, we're to be careful how we treat each other. You don't always have to have your way. We can be subject. You can lower yourself to talk to someone. You don't have to say, well, you always have to be the big dog in everything. We're subject to one another. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. That takes thought because the natural response is to make much of you because I need to be, you, know, you should think much of me. I used to tease my girls. They'd say, you know, it's not, life's not all about you. I'd tell them that because it's all about me. Life is about me. You should be serving me and helping me. Daddy, that's not what it means, but it works for me. Okay, too often as believers, we, we, we kind of get that way, don't we? Life's about us. It's about me. I'm going to serve you, but you know what? You better be serving me. That's not the tenor of the passage here. In honor, we prefer one another. We find ways to serve each other. We don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Instead, we find ways to serve. Uh, number two, give, give others the benefit of the doubt. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Uh, don't prematurely judge somebody else's actions. Uh, Romans 14, Paul encourages us not to judge one another not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in another brother's way. Uh, be careful before you decide what somebody else is doing or what they're thinking. Give them the benefit of the doubt. You would like that, wouldn't you? You would like that. That goes hand in hand, really, with uh, a couple other things. Okay, I didn't know I had this broken down. Great. Uh, number two, be long-suffering with strugglers. You ever know somebody that just never could seem to quite get it or get it all together? Yeah, they do well for a while, and then they, you know, it's like three steps forward, two, two steps back. You ever lose your patience with people like that? That's the tendency. Be patient. Be long-suffering with strugglers. Uh, life is not always easy. Paul tells us, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Again, don't you want that? Don't you want someone to be patient with you as you wrestle through things? As parents, we struggle with that. That's hard. Uh, you know, you act like a three-year-old. I, some dear friends of ours we used to spend time with were at the table one time, and she, she was telling us that when their children were small, one of, one of them was doing something, and her husband just railed, reared back and just scolded a little girl and ended with, you're acting like a three-year-old. She said, I very kindly reached over and patted him on the hand and said, Gail, she is three. And we often forget that, you know what, we are three in a way. We're not perfect. None of us are. We would love to be rid of this sinfulness, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be nice just for everything to work right, think right, do right? You never have to think about that. But on this earth, we have to think about it. You have to purpose in your heart to do what's right. Not everybody does that at the same rate. 
in the same way or with as much success. So let's, let's be long-suffering with the stragglers. Uh, show love in your speech. I shouldn't have to say this one, but I'm going to throw it out there. Colossians 3.9, Paul says, Do not lie one to another since you lay aside the old self with its evil practices. Now, the reason I say that is Proverbs 28, 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes. When you lie to someone, you are telling them, I hate you. That's a horrible thing. Now, that may not be your intent. They may not pick up on it. But what you're doing is devaluing another person when you decide that they're not worth the truth. So we shouldn't, you know, lying just should not be. And then finally, I'm just going to kind of throw a bunch of them together. Be nice. Be nice. You'll hear me say this. Be nice. There are so many ways that we can show the love of Christ in a concrete fashion that we need to be doing that. Uh, you know, 1 Peter 4, 9 is the example because it's got the words in it. Paul, Peter says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. The word hospitable or hospitality in the New Testament literally means you love strangers. In other words, you see anybody who has a need and you're willing and glad to meet it. That's all it is. Hospitals weren't always just for sick people. Hospitals were places where people went to stay. They were inns. People who kept them were called hospitalers. And it became hospitality to be nice to someone and help them on their way. So when we get into the other parts of the New Testament where Paul says that the the minister, the elder, should be hospitable. Well, there were missionaries, there were people who served the Lord traveling from place to place. The minister was to make sure they were taken care of. didn't always mean opening their home, no more than it means you have to open your home to everybody. What it does mean is we're looking for ways to meet other people's needs. Can you be taken advantage of? Absolutely. Does that matter, really? We show the love of Christ. We find people who have needs, and we meet them. Needs are not just limited to financial needs. People have lots of different kinds of ways that they have needs. They may just need company. They may need encouragement. We have several brand new moms. I heard one of the. I heard Nora back there. Wasn't that her a little while ago? Sweet. We have not Juliet's here today. We have brand new moms. I got news for you folks. These are tired women. Just take my word for it. They're tired. They're not sleeping. <laughs> Ours didn't sleep till they were six months old. They never slept a night. Oh my word. I don't want to remember that, but I do. There are lots of ways you may you may just need encouragement. Some of you work for people who are very hard to work for. You work with people who really are working against you. You may need encouragement. Some some folks may just be lonely. Look around the room, folks. We have people who are single. They live alone. And they come here and then they leave alone. They, They need encouragement. They need fellowship just like you do. Reach out. Be hospitable. There are lots of ways that you can do this. Now, with all that said... I make no conclusion. I refuse to conclude because I need you to come back tonight. What I want to do is this. Rather than, the reason I'm not going to give a conclusion, if we do, it's like, okay, we're done. We stop, forget about it next. You know, it's time to go beat the Presbyterians or Ryans. We're not, I don't want you stopping and think, okay, you may talk about it in the car. Mark, he spits when he talks, you know, he's, he's kind of different. It's okay, we're right on time, it's all right. What I'd like to do is for you to come back tonight, and what I want to do is we'll take one or so from each of these categories, and I want you to do the heavy lifting. We're going to flesh it out. 
I'm going to guide a discussion, and you're going to help me see how we do some of these things. That's why I purposely did not dig in very far with any kind of application. You're going to do that tonight. Okay? So if you want to encourage the folks who are going to be here, be here. If you're normally not here, here's a great chance for you to come and encourage at least Mark. If anybody else, I would like for you to come. It would be fun. I can't promise goodies or anything like that. I will promise we'll be done on time because we have to be. If we're not out of the building by 6, we get in trouble. Uh, but I want you to come back tonight. I want to go through these, and we will discuss them literally. I, am, I will have very few ideas, and if you don't have any, we're going to be stuck. Okay, on purpose, because I want you thinking through, how do you show love? How can we be unified? How can I encourage someone who has just moved to this area? How can we work together to show the kind of respect and concern and care that a church body is supposed to show? Remember, folks, people are looking at us all the time. If we don't show Christ, that's our fault. It's not that it can't be done. It's that we're not remembering to do it. So let's plan to do it so that as people look at us and they watch us work together, it's something that glorifies God. And as people see that, that's attractive. And if we do church right, you will naturally be this way to other people and that overflows to others and they will want what you have. And that's where reaching lives Reaching souls comes in. Because if you're naturally kind, you learn how to by impulse love people, you're going to love others as well. People you work with, the people in your neighborhood, that's reaching souls. That's attractive. And by the way, it's what we're supposed to be doing. So plan to be back tonight. We're going to have a good time, and we're going to talk about it. And if you don't talk, we're going to stare at each other. So, I mean, I can talk a lot, but let's not plan on that part, okay? Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for your kindness, for the compassion you show to us. We, we, we deserve none of what we have, but you've placed us in this wonderful church body. You've placed us in the larger body of Christ so that we might serve together and that your kingdom might expand and overflow and that we can see you triumphant. We know one day we shall. We look forward to that time. But while we are here before the kingdom is ushered in, we want to be busy about your business, and we want to do it your way. So help us to reach out to others, to love other people, to reach out into our church family and meet needs, to give each other the care, concern, and respect, and love that they are due because Christ valued them enough to die for them. Thank you for letting us work together. We pray that you would make us a strong body, whether we have a place or not. May we focus on the work that needs to be done to show Christ to this world. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.